Hey, today we're bringing you part two of what went wrong at Ubiome. If you haven't heard part one, start there. It's in your feed. Previously, Ubiome had an exciting new concept. They build themselves as the 23andMe of poop. <laughs> yeah, your poop. We want all of your poop. A take-home test for the microbiome sold directly to consumers. They had just raised a hot mess of money, and so spirits were pretty high. Then, Ubiome introduced a new product called SmartGut. And we now have this clinical test, which is truly a medical product. Well, the culture was very secretive. I said, you know, look, I was being polite there. I don't want to be listed as an advisor because I don't think you're doing things correctly. It's always tough to tell the difference between incompetence and deception. And for a lot of us, it was just hard to tell whether we had crossed that line or not. Today, in part two, Ubiome comes under scrutiny. Our colleague Amy Doxer-Marcus is going to take it from here. In 2017, Ubiome was a company to watch. It had launched two new products, SmartGut and SmartJane, and it was getting great publicity. Jessica Richman, Ubiome CEO, was a keynote speaker at a Harvard Medical School conference. I'm really, really grateful for Jessica for having come here. And Jessica was being interviewed on big conference stages by Silicon Valley investors. I'm so excited to be sitting here with Jessica, who's one of our top female founders in the 8BC portfolio. It's so fun as a female investor to be sitting here with a woman who's solving such a big problem. And so I thought we'd... By 2018, Ubiome was raising its third round of venture capital funding, its Series C. That round would eventually amount to $59 million. But... Just one year later, the company had collapsed, and eventually, federal prosecutors would label Ubiome's leaders as fugitives. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Amy Doxer-Marcus. It's Friday, November 12th. Coming up on the show, what went wrong at Ubiome, part two. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. From the beginning, Ubiome's clinical test, SmartGut, had some enthusiastic customers. My name is Damian Moskowitz. Damian is a former psychotherapist, and he struggled for years with irritable bowel syndrome. When you hear the phrase irritable bowel syndrome, if you don't suffer from it personally, you may think, what's the big deal? A little bit of irritability, a little bit of indigestion. But the reality is, is in its severe form, it can be extremely debilitating. It affects your energy. It affects your ability to concentrate, to function. So I was very desperate for 
help. The way Damien got help was unconventional. He decided to get an experimental treatment where bacteria from a healthy person's stool is transferred into the gut of a sick person. It's sometimes called a poop transplant, although that's an oversimplification. Damien wanted to know whether this treatment was working, and he thought the ubiome test could show him. The entire point of the fecal microbiota transplant is to change the composition of bacteria in one's gut. And I don't necessarily trust my own subjective impressions about whether that treatment is effective. There's you know, placebo effect. And that's why I wanted to document my progress objectively. And here Ubiome came along offering a way to do that. For Damien, Smart Gut gave him answers about the way his gut microbiome was changing over time. And the test was also easy to get. I didn't have to go see a doctor. I didn't have to deal with my insurance company. Just uh, click a couple buttons on the internet and voila, I receive this little box in the mail and just mail it back. As Damien ordered more smart gut tests and tracked his results, he started to feel less enthusiastic. Personally, I didn't find them useful at all. There were just a bunch of graphs and charts showing you're high on this, you're low on that. And it didn't offer me a clear sense of what the cause was of my problems, nor what the appropriate treatment was. Did you take your results to a doctor and ask the doctor to interpret them for you? I did show the results to a couple of doctors, and neither of them had anything to say about it. They didn't find it useful. They didn't use it to inform their treatment. As we said in episode one, we reached out to Jessica and Zach multiple times through their lawyers for interviews and for comment, but we never heard back. But beyond the utility of the tests, Damien became suspicious of Ubiome's business practices too. There were just many, many little red flags. The first is how I came to get approved for the test in the first place. I log onto their website and they offered me a nine-item checklist. Abdominal tenderness, constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, bloating, Crohn's disease, flatulence, ulcerative colitis, and other. At some point, they added nausea and a couple other things to the list. And that was it. Then they said they would connect the patient with their network of independent healthcare professionals. And that independent healthcare professional would decide whether the patient qualifies for the test. So I completed the checklist, and based solely on that checklist, a doctor approved the test for me. And the company billed my insurance company. And I thought to myself, how can this doctor know whether I truly meet criteria for medical necessity without knowing any context, without having spoken to me, without examining me physically. It turns out this frictionless ordering process was by design. According to former employees we spoke to, Ubiome was trying to make it easy to order its clinical tests because insurance reimbursements were how the company was aiming to make more money. I started as a clinical partnership specialist, and I was tasked with really cultivating relationships and educating healthcare providers about smart gut. That's Hillary McConaughey. Hillary's job was similar to that of a salesperson. 
She was trying to educate doctors about the microbiome and then get doctors to order SmartGut for their patients. The company's goal was to sell as many clinical tests as possible. Hillary says she would hear Jessica and Zach talk about that a lot. So we would have company-wide meetings every week, and we often heard debriefings after the board meetings with investors and others, and the importance of the billable samples metric that they were asking about in those board meetings often became the basically one and only key performance indicator for our work and for the growth of SmartGut and, and really wanting to make sure that number was growing month over month. It felt like the directive, or at least the push for that month-over-month growth of monthly billable samples was priority at the expense of everything else. Hillary says that Ubiome was making progress on selling the smart gut test. They were contacting doctors over the phone, reaching them at medical conferences, but she says those tactics weren't ramping up sales fast enough. That wasn't providing enough of an uptick in orders from those physicians. And that was actually a huge reason why the clinical outreach transitioned from individual outreach via phone calls and conferences and just trying to connect with individual healthcare providers across the country. And so Ubiome wanted to take some of that ordering in-house. The company set up what they called an external clinical care network. In other words, a group of healthcare providers, including doctors and nurse practitioners, under contract to do telemedicine for Ubiome. For example, a patient could order a smart gut test directly from Ubiome's website. And behind the scenes, Ubiome would connect that order with a doctor from its network. With a doctor's approval, it became easier for Ubiome to bill the test to insurance. Hillary helped get that new network of healthcare providers up and running. If they were interested in becoming involved, we would pay them by the hour to review tests and approve orders, which would then be sent directly to Ubiome's back-end systems. With this new network, the ordering process became quicker than ever. And so Ubiome, they were able to then create essentially this telemedicine platform, which actually required no direct contact or interaction between a patient and the telemedicine provider, and then they would approve or deny the test based on essentially the survey or form results that they read. So there was um, oftentimes no verbal or video conferencing taking place prior to the ordering from the physicians. So this was much more like um, a factory rather than having a personal relationship with a patient and a doctor. Exactly. There was often no personal relationship whatsoever. And oftentimes the patient forms that were maybe first denied by a healthcare provider were then just rerouted to another provider within uh, Ubiome's clinical care network that would approve the test. So did you have an inkling that, that some of these practices might be questionable? Yes. Across the team, across Ubiome middle management, this felt very uncomfortable across the board. We all felt like things were getting out of hand and and really spiraling in terms of the corner cutting, in terms of the finding of loopholes to really make it all work at all costs. Hillary didn't like what Ubiome was doing with billing, but she didn't think her pushback would make a difference. She ended up taking a different role at the company. Really, at times, it was really, really scary how 
we were either sort of misleading patients directly or misleading the providers to, again, get to that monthly billable sample rate that was just growing month over month. Unfortunately, whenever that was raised to senior management or specifically to Zach and Jessica, it was always ignored or pushed aside. And so without their explicit approval, we were sort of stuck. There was essentially no power beyond Zach and Jessica. Damien, on the outside, was also noticing Ubiome's push to get patients to order more tests. They were very aggressive with their marketing. Click here and we'll resequence your test. Click here and we'll upgrade it. Click here and we'll give you a $20 Amazon gift card if you, you know, request it or submit it quickly enough. They would allow me to request repeated tests without any clinical justification, without any explanation for why I wanted six kits instead of one, without any explanation for why I wanted the kits resequenced or reprocessed. These were literally just a click of a button without any explanation to get tons and tons of extra kits or extra analyses for which they would bill the insurance company $3,000 every single time. Ubiom was also sending emails about what it called upgrades, which meant an updated version of their test. You'd get new results, but without sending another sample. I requested one test, I send the test back, then a few months later they say, oh, we've upgraded our technology, click this button, we'll resequence your biome or we'll upgrade your test results. And then you click the button, they bill the insurance again for another $3,000. I just, the more time I spent with Ubiome, the less I trusted what they were doing, both on a scientific and an ethical level. Damien decided to take a closer look at some insurance records. He initially had trouble accessing his own, so he started off by reviewing a friend's. Specifically, he was interested in something called CPT codes, which stands for Current Procedural Terminology Codes. Now, this is a bit wonky, but stick with us. CPT codes are essential in the U.S. insurance system. They're five-digit numbers that are assigned to healthcare services. Insurance companies use them to help figure out what a lab or doctor did for a patient and whether to pay for it. Most healthcare procedures and lab tests have one CPT code, or possibly a set of codes, that should be consistent across all documentation. But that's not what Damien found when he looked at the insurance records for Ubiome's smart gut tests. I went through CPT codes to see how they were billing the insurance companies. I realized they were using different CPT codes with each of their successive tests. So for example, they would take a sample on one date, they would ask the patient if the patient wanted to have it resequenced or, or reanalyzed, and the patient, if they would click yes, they would then use different billing codes to bill the insurance company than the first time. So the insurance company wouldn't realize that they're using the same sample to do the same tests. Damien also included other materials in his research. I spent literally scores, if not hundreds of hours, going through reams of paperwork, insurance documents, everything I could find on Ubiome's website, related scientific information, making spreadsheets. What made you so curious? It's like a lot of labor that you put into this. So in short, I have a strong sense of justice and I dislike waste and I dislike high health insurance costs. And I was angry when I started to realize that this house was made of cards. 
they're offering a test that they argue is medically sound and therefore reimbursable by insurance companies and gives people like myself hope of successful treatment for a debilitating condition to find out that none of that is true was very upsetting to me. It gave me a lot of false hope and it was a big waste of my time. While Damien was researching Ubiome, he decided to reach out to journalists, including me. So in May of 2018, I heard an interview of your colleague, John Carriero. Am I pronouncing that right? And he was discussing his expose on Theranos. And I just started noticing parallels. And I thought he might be interested in the story. So I did a bit of Googling, and I discovered that you had written an article. So at that point in May of 2018, I sent an email to you and John simultaneously articulating my concerns. By the way, that's the tip I mentioned in episode one. This is when my reporting partner, Anna Wilde Matthews, and I started looking more closely at the company. Damien also took his complaints about Ubiome to California state agencies. Let me read the last paragraph of my, I wrote an eight-page single-space complaint to the California Medical Board. Damien started off by saying he wasn't seeking anything in return. He continued, However, it seems to me that Ubiome and those doctors are committing a massive fraud that is costing insurance companies many thousands or possibly millions of dollars. Those fraudulent charges are presumably being passed along to consumers and taxpayers in the form of increased premiums and taxes. Therefore, I hope that those responsible for this fraud will be criminally prosecuted, that the complicit doctors will be disciplined, and that every penny you buy them fraudulently received from insurance companies will be refunded. When you reached out, did someone respond to you and call you? I spoke to a detective, excuse me, I don't know if they're formal detectives, they're definitely investigators from the California Department of Insurance as well as the California Medical Board, and we had a quite a bit of correspondence, both over the phone and over email. And the investigator from the California Department of Insurance said that he was working with other federal agencies. The California Medical Board declined to comment, and a spokesman for the California Department of Insurance says it takes complaints from the public seriously. This year, Damien sought whistleblower status from the Securities and Exchange Commission, and if funds are recovered and other conditions are met, he could qualify for an award. But because Damien filed late, lawyers I spoke with said he likely wouldn't receive a payout. Damien wasn't the only one raising flags about Ubiome's billing practices. Insurance companies were also asking questions. And then, in April of 2019... A San Francisco-based health startup got raided by the feds today. The FBI agents showed up at Ubiome. They broke down the front door and asked employees to hand over their computers. The FBI is investigating how it bills health insurers for its special gut health tests. All right, turning. That's coming up after the break. a company that gets raided by the FBI. But when you do, you're like, this is fascinating. That's Alex Smith. She worked as an automation engineer at Ubiome at the time of the raid. For her, that Friday morning in April started off like any other. So I'm standing 
in my apartment, like about to close my laptop and get into work. And my colleague calls me and literally whispering over the phone, don't come in. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't come in. She's like, the FBI is here. I'm like, are you serious? The FBI is at our, what are they doing? She's like, I don't know. They just barged in and they're taking things and they're talking to people and just don't come in. I'm like, okay. Um, And so I had my now husband, then boyfriend go and like go to the office and see what was up. And like, there was a guy guarding the door and it was just like, (laughs) oh my God, it's actually the FBI. The FBI barged into the office in the early morning. They filled boxes with material and loaded them into a van outside the building. The agency declined to comment for this story. In a morbid way, I was fascinated and very excited. I was like, oh my God, the FBI came to the office. And it's just an amusing story to relay. I think I told my mom. I think I told anybody that I talked to that day. I'm like, my company got raided by the FBI. And they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to keep working until I find another job, basically. I mean, what, what else is there to do? The raid led to big changes at Ubiome. Ubiome's board put Jessica and Zach on leave, and the general counsel became the company's interim CEO. Soon after the raid, he convened an all-staff meeting to talk about the status of the company. A spokeswoman for the former general counsel's current employer said he was not available to respond. The general things were like, Zach and Jessica have been suspended. The board has put him, the general counsel, in charge of things. We are still operating. For a time being, things are being audited. We will resume lab operations, which we did. The science is solid. They're not after us about the science. There's something going on with the billing. And he was like, I want to reiterate, it's not the science, it's the billing. And like, there's a twinkle in your brain. You're like, maybe, maybe things will be fine. But for Alex and a lot of other employees, things weren't fine. The company did continue to operate but leadership changed again. A few months after the general counsel took over as interim CEO, he left the company, and some consultants took over. They also declined to comment for this story. Around that time, Alex and her colleagues got a strange email. It was a receipt of payment, but it came earlier than it should have and had less than two weeks' worth of pay. People were like, what is this? Why why have I gotten this? It's off pay schedule. And essentially, people started figuring out, oh, If you got this email, you're probably going to get fired. The same people who got that email also got invited to an early meeting at the office. Everybody knew what was happening. We called it a firing party because essentially like one girl, she was playing the like, na, 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 na. And basically like after we all got fired, we're like, let's go get drinks. I realize it's 10 in the morning, but still, we all just got fired. (laughs) Alex landed on her feet. A few months later, she got a new job at another microbiome startup. Basically, for me, all of the things that I learned from my previous experience with Ubiome, I basically took to see, like, what type of leadership is there? What are you looking for? What are your expectations out of a company? Like, basically looking to suss out whoever is running this company, are they the same as Jack and Jessica? And if I see that again, I don't want to be any part of it. I learned how to see those type of people and avoid them as much as possible. And I think for me, that was super useful because now I, then I don't have to deal with that. For a while after the layoffs, Ubiome continued to operate, but at a smaller scale. Shortly after the raid, the company stopped processing the clinical tests. 
and it pivoted back to the original product, Explorer, the test that never gave clinical takeaways in the first place. Finally, in September 2019, Ubiome filed for bankruptcy. The next month, it shut down its operations. But that didn't stop the criminal investigation. In March of 2021, the San Francisco U.S. Attorney's Office released a 33-page indictment, United States of America versus Zachary Apte and Jessica Richman. A federal grand jury charged Jessica and Zach with multiple crimes, including healthcare fraud and securities fraud. Overall, prosecutors alleged that from 2015 to 2019, Ubiome billed insurers approximately $300 million, and insurers paid Ubiome over $35 million for those claims. The same month, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission also filed a complaint against Jessica and Zach. The SEC alleged that they, quote, painted a false picture of Ubiome as a rapidly growing company, and that Ubiome's revenue growth was, quote, a sham. To discuss the government's charges, I wanted to bring on my reporting partner on this story, Anna Wilde Matthews. You've only heard my voice up until this point, but Anna and I worked on this podcast together. First, I asked Anna to break down what we know from the indictment. The government's alleging a lot of stuff about Ubiome, but a couple of the central things are, one, that there was an upgrade scheme where Ubiome was retesting the same sample, sort of soliciting patients to get upgrade tests, essentially retesting samples they'd already sent rather than new samples and not really telling insurers about that. And I should say that's an allegation. And that's a problem for insurers if they were doing it, because insurers want lab tests that tell you something about your health. That's the point of the lab test, to say this person has this condition and needs this treatment right now. So retesting a sample that you gave six months ago or a year ago isn't really that useful clinically and probably from an insurer's perspective, because it's like, well, okay, we can tell what was going on with you a year ago or six months ago, but that's not really something that would motivate a doctor to do something right now, such as give you a treatment. It's just not that relevant clinically. This alleged upgrade scheme was more or less what we heard earlier from Damien. But Anna said the indictment went further. Ubiome was also allegedly misleading the doctors who were approving the patient orders of the tests. So the indictment claims that doctors did not always understand or were not always fully informed that they were ordering a test based on a sample that might have been taken a while ago. So that's those upgrades that we mentioned earlier. The indictment also went deeper into Jessica and Zach's alleged deception of insurance companies. They were allegedly not telling the insurers that these upgrades were just retests of the same old samples. And then they were also allegedly just falsifying doctor notes. So when insurers pay for a test, they want to know that it was, in fact, ordered by a doctor based on some sense or some reason that the patient needed the test. But if they couldn't provide that, Ubiome was allegedly, in some cases, writing doctor notes that falsified an encounter between a patient and a doctor or communication between a patient and a doctor that would have justified a test, but in fact, again, allegedly, didn't even happen. So some of those doctor notes were allegedly just fake. That's what the indictment charges, that they were essentially making up doctor notes that doctors had not signed off on using the names of the actual doctors. 
What does the government say about Jessica and Zach's motives to allegedly mislead doctors and insurers? Well, in the indictment, the federal prosecutors, and then also in a parallel case that's been filed by the SEC against Zach and Jessica, they allege that a central motivation for them was that they were trying to paint a good picture for investors. So they were fundraising for Ubiome, trying to get millions of dollars out of venture capital firms. And to do that, they needed to be able to show that they had a growing, viable business. And the business that they were trying to show was one that would have lab tests paid for by insurers. So they wanted to show that that was happening and that it was growing so that they had a growing number of billable samples. Again, this is all alleged by the government's cases. Do you think this story is an example of a mismatch between biotech innovation and the insurance industry? I think that in the case of what Ubiome was doing, we've talked to a number of scientists who kind of agreed with the insurers that this really isn't a proven clinical value. So there doesn't seem to be a huge disagreement between the actual experts in the field who do not work for insurance companies and insurance companies over whether this was a clinically important treatment that needed to be paid for. You know, I cover health insurance, which is a pretty traditional sector and is pretty highly regulated and pretty strict and pretty routinized, for lack of a better term. So they have ways they do this, and you kind of have to check the boxes to get paid. And I think that it is challenging. So when you are a startup company run by people who have not dealt with the healthcare system before, just even being new can be a challenge because there are just so many rules you have to follow and so many standards you have to meet. And in this case, allegedly, the company, you know, wasn't really checking those boxes or meeting those standards. And to make it look like they were, they did things that, again, allegedly sort of crossed the line. Throughout the reporting of the story, we've wanted to hear from Jessica and Zach themselves. We reached out to their lawyers multiple times, but didn't receive a response. We do know that in August of this year, their lawyers asked a judge to dismiss the SEC complaint against them, saying the complaint didn't contain enough detail or specifics to show that they had broken the law. Earlier this month, a judge denied that request. But there's still a lot we don't know about Jessica and Zach's perspectives on the case. That's because, according to the indictment, they're fugitives. And government lawyers have said there are warrants out for their arrest. The FBI declined to comment on the case, but we do have some ideas about where Jessica and Zach may be, specifically from a court document filed last month. Lawyers for the government wrote that Jessica and Zach married in 2019. They got the marriage certified in late June 2020 and a few days later left for Germany, where Zach is also a citizen according to the document. In April of this year, the document says, federal prosecutors received a letter from Jessica's lawyer. The letter said that Jessica suffered from a medical condition, which meant she couldn't travel, and that Zach was Jessica's caretaker, which meant he wouldn't travel either. Government lawyers said they were told by Jessica and Zach's lawyers that the couple has no plans to return to the U.S. to face the criminal charges against them. Zach's German citizenship makes it unlikely he could be extradited. According to legal experts, Germany generally doesn't extradite its citizens to the U.S. 
Another lead was from a website called North Data, which is a search engine for European companies. Jessica and Zach's names appear on the website, associated with an address in central Berlin. So I asked my colleague Ian Lovett, who's living in Berlin, to go by the building and see if he could find them. He said yes and hopped on the subway. Anne brought along some pictures of Jessica and Zach. So the building where we think Zach and Jessica may live is right at the Oranienburg Tour subway stop, which is a stop in a very busy part of central Berlin. I'm here on a a very busy intersection, not exactly a out-of-the-way, hard-to-find place, if that's what anybody was looking for. Now, I'm walking up to the address now and going to look at the list of names to see if anybody with their name is listed on here. Not looking like it from a quick glance. Ian didn't see their names on any mailboxes, and he asked a few neighbors if they recognized Jessica and Zach from their photos. I'm looking for someone who we think might be living here. And I'm wondering, but if, it would have only been the last few months, so if you haven't... Are you looking for a place to live? No, I'm looking for a person. I'm trying to find a person. Yes, someone who used to, who we think might be living here. The people we're looking for are Zach Apti and Jessica Richmond. You don't recognize either of them? Okay. Do you recognize, do you recognize either of them? Not really. No. Not really. Ian couldn't find any evidence of Jessica and Zach at that address. And that's kind of where our story ends. As far as we know, Jessica and Zach are still fugitives, with warrants out for their arrest. But many of the former employees we talked to are still grappling with the experience they had at Ubiome, like Richard Sprague. He was the guy who had taken more than 600 Ubiome tests. He read the indictment and isn't sure what to believe. I I don't think anybody, even at the very end, really believed there was fraud going on. I think that mostly it was just disorganized. I think it's just one of those things where the company is moving very quickly. A lot of things are happening at once. There's a lot of pressure to deliver. And if you don't have the processes in place to make sure that everything is handled legally and properly, a lot of things can slip through a lot of cracks. Hillary McConaughey, the woman who worked on getting doctors to order smart gut tests, also read the government's case against Jessica and Zach. I mean, all of it was right on the nose. Everything about the billing, all of that rings true, is exactly right with sort of what I experienced either directly or indirectly during my time at Ubiome. And what do you think about the indictment calling them fugitives? <laughs> um, it's, not, again, not surprising. Um, it's a story that almost seems too unbelievable to be true, but here we are. And if I didn't live it, I think I, <laughs> I would be more skeptical, but it certainly has been a wild ride. And remember Gabe Foster, one of the early employees? He was fired before Ubiome started selling its clinical test and dealing with insurance. After he left the company, he ended up going for a PhD, but he continued to keep an eye on his former employers. When I was long into my graduate program, reading about all the things that happened, I was not surprised. None of it seemed out of character. It's very interesting. I mean, I guess maybe you can give us some final thoughts on just how it started and how it ended. I, that's a good question. 
I still believe that the company as founded was a fine idea. I do. I think it was the right product at the right time. I think it could have been a really excellent little thing. I think if they had stuck with what they were doing and done it ethically, or at the very least failed gracefully in a way that everyone came out of it looking really good. I think that was all totally possible. I think that in their efforts to build a giant successful company and cash out, that they pivoted to something that was clinically not realistic and not worth anything. And assuming they committed the fraud they did, I would say that they probably did it in an effort to keep getting big and just try to ride it out and they got stuck. And it's just really disappointing because the core product, the 23andMe of poop that never was, it, you know, it wasn't going to shake the foundations of science, but it was a good idea and it deserved better. Ubiome's story is more than just allegations of fraud about one company. It also highlights broader questions. How can investors and consumers evaluate claims that arise from cutting-edge science, especially when researchers don't agree among themselves? Given the rapid pace of innovation, who gets to draw the line between what's achievable now and what's still an aspiration? The direction of business and biotechnology in the years ahead will depend on the answers. I'm Amy Doxer-Marcus. Thanks for listening. That's all for today, Friday, November 12th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. Special thanks to Amy Doxer-Marcus for hosting today's episode and to Anna Wildey-Matthews and Ian Lovett for their reporting. This episode was produced by Ricky Novetsky with help from Willa Rubin and Kayla Stokes. It was edited by Katherine Brewer, Blythe Terrell, and Annie Rose Strasser with help from Stephanie Ilgenfritz, David Freeman, and Rob Rossi. The show is produced by Annie Baxter, Pia Godkari, Rachel Humphreys, Brendan Klinkenberg, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, and Sarah Platt. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Additional mixing this week from Katherine Anderson and Emma Munger. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Today's version was remixed by Nathan Singapak. Additional music this week from Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.